May I have your attention, please? Good evening. You're listening to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy another exciting episode of our show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. It's the sick man, Dean Geronimo. It's almost Thanksgiving, y'all. We're getting ready to get to 2021. But you know what? From NJ to NC, I'm in the studio with my right-hand man, Mark Lee. So, Mark, tell me what's good in your neck of the woods, my brother. Well, you know, we're just shaking and doing all kinds of fun things in the world. Of course, we're trying to pay attention to what's going on in that crazy place called 1600 because we got that man that does not want to escape. He just wants to stay <laughs> in office and does not seem to want to leave whatsoever. But, you know, he's doing legal actions and trying to get other things going on. And, of course, a number of folks are concerned about uh, the pandemic and are trying to find ways to stay healthy and stay safe and stay well and all of that. And I understand that there is of a vaccine, but, you know, a lot of folks want to make sure that that vaccine is tested and is actually going to be effective before they start dealing with taking it. At least that's the conversation I'm having with a number of my friends and acquaintances. We want to make sure that everything has been properly vetted and it is not going to do some more damage to it than it will uh, doing good. So, like I said, we want to make sure that it's going to do the actual good and it is not going to be causing any kinds of unnecessary trouble. So that's one of the things that I know a lot of folks are trying to do is to make sure it's actually going to do the good that they claim it's going to do and not do harm. Now, that's the way that I was trying to phrase it and everything. So I know that you're probably hearing those same things in your community as well. And then, of course, I was disappointed with your Baltimore Ravens because I am getting yeah. my backside handed to me <laughs> in football because I am involved in a fantasy football game, and I think that his opponent or my opponent has got like 95 points. I think I've got like 20, 25, maybe 30 at the most, but I've got Tom Brady. I'm sorry. I don't think Tom Brady is going 70 points in fantasy football, so I think that I'm pretty much getting my ass handed to me in the, in the sense of the fantasy football, and we'll just have to bounce back next week with some better players and some better activities because right now I am taking a serious ale in some fantasy football. I mean, I am taking it like that kind of way. I was hoping that the Baltimore defense was going to give me some points, but I think y'all got me like maybe five or six and a couple of other players. It wasn't just the Baltimore team, but there were some other players that were disappointing me as well. I think my kicker might have even got maybe minus one point because he might have had his – kick blocked or something. So, like I said, it was not a fun day in fantasy football on yesterday and going into today. Like I said, you know, maybe I should be the hopeful, optimistic, and think that a miracle is going to happen and Tom Brady is going to score 70 points in fantasy football. I don't even know if that's humanly possible, but like I said, since I'm not putting much faith in that happening, I think I'm just going to go ahead and take this L and try to bounce back next week with a better result. But (laughs) <laughs> That's kind of what's going on in my fantasy football league. It will not give me a losing record. I think I'll drop to like six and five or something like that. So I won't okay. be having a losing record. I won't be at five hundred. I will at least be having a winning record, but I think I'll be two games behind the leader, maybe even three games. So I still I think I'm in good shot to be in the regular um 
playoffs and not make it to what we call the Sucker Bowl, which is where all the teams that did not have a good record wind up going and everything. So I think I still got a right. shot to making the playoffs and all. I do need that, at least that one more victory, maybe another victory or two, because I can't remember if we got two or three games uh, left. But I know we're headed toward the end of the season before we get to playoffs. So I know that I need to be rooting for some good results next week at the very least. And hopefully, like I said, I can bounce up to maybe a 7-5 record or something like that and at least put myself in position to uh, do some damage in the playoffs. And hopefully I will make it to the playoffs and not be playing <laughs> in the sucker bowl. But that's what's going on. Of course, like everybody else, I'm sitting here trying to figure out where this mystery money is going to be coming from because, you know, Thanksgiving is in a few days. Uh, Christmas is around the corner. And my wallets are looking mighty thin. I don't know about your wallets, but my wallets are looking mighty thin. So trying to figure out where this mystery money is going to be coming from. I did find out that I've got some products that will be available, and we're going to try to make some of that product available for Straight Talk as well. But Brandon, who is one of my teammates over there on IBM TV, is creating a little bit of a store for us to sell some products that might include some T-shirts, some hoodies, some cups, and I did tell them that I wanted not just the IBM TV shows to be represented, but I wanted Straight Talk with Dean and Mark to be represented as well. So I'm hoping we're going to have a, like, at nice. least a little cup and a couple of things that we can make at least a little bit of dimes off. And of course, you know, we're making a few dimes off of Spreaker, because like I said, they did send us that little bit of a small check last uh earlier this month, and I've already looked, and we've exceeded what we made last week. So I think oh, we made $16 last month, and already I think we're close to, like, maybe $23. And I don't think the nice. next rollout is till January. So who knows? Okay. Maybe we'll even cross near 50 or 75 or or $100 by the time <laughs> that January rolls around because we're doing even better than we did when they gave us that first little bit of a check and everything. So like I said, right. there is some uh, – uh, what do you call it? Sunshine is out there creeping out in the shadows and everything. So we're just trying to make do with what we can make do with. And I want to say, on a lighter note, did I hear that an uh, organization that you belong to was celebrating like something called a birthday or something like that? Because it seems to me that I saw something <laughs> online about some organization that you belong to celebrating a birthday. Yeah. And people talking junk about how they are really. You know, I ain't got no dog in this fight, but I heard that they're really the parent organization of some of these other organizations that belong out there. But I did hear that there was like a birthday. Nah. Some- we're, <laughs> yeah, we're not the parent organization. We are the first uh, black Greek letter organization that was founded on a black college campus, that being Howard University. Back on November 17th, 1911, the Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated was found. Um, We are now 109 years old. So, you know, we we weren't weren't the first, but we were the first on a black college campus. As far as the, you know, before us, it was Cap Alpha Psi, Indiana University. Before them, it was Alpha Phi Alpha at Cornell University. We are the third fraternity, black Greek letter fraternity that was founded, but the first on a black college campus. So, okay, that was so the birthday. That was the last Tuesday, right? <laughs> so you know, I mean, just a little something right there. We keep going. We um, 
keep going and moving and trying to better our communities and our respective organizations. Shout out to the entire Divine Nine, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, you know, and then we, we come into Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity, then Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated, then we go Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated, and lastly, Iota Phi Theta Fraternity Incorporated. So shout out to the entire Divine Nine. As I understand, that Divine Nine played a little bit of history role as well, because I believe we have a vice presidential elect who is from one of those organizations and also is tied in to one of those HBCUs. I believe you mentioned them earlier, Howard and University, so she Howard might be return back to her DC roots and all. But I understand that there were some of those organizations that actually mobilized some of their forces in the campaign and actually help to mobilize some of the voting that has gotten these folks into the office that they are going to be hopefully going to in January and all. But definitely it'll be interesting to see what happens in that regard. Like I said, I know we got some stubborn folks and everything, but definitely we did see that uh, they played an active role in what is going on. And I believe we've already got some folks that are on the line, including somebody from the lovely state of Colorado who is involved in a veteran wow. organization. So I've okay. already got a text from them, and they told me that they're online, and I'm expecting <laughs> to hear from some others as well. So let's hear okay. what we got about the veterans, because I would love to hear about what this young lady is doing, because she is doing some work with the veterans. So let's bring them on in, and let's see. I think we're going to have my buddy from Zully's calling in later as well. So like I said, we should have some engaging conversation, but I'm looking forward to hearing from my buddy from Colorado. So have you brought him in yet? Hold on one second. Without further ado, welcome to Straight Talk with Dana Mark. You are now on the line. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? And I'm like, I'm a girl. We hear you loud and clear. It's that cowgirl in the house and everything because she has got a rodeo and she's got all kinds of stuff that she is doing that is going on there in Colorado. And I would love to hear more about this fascinating organization that she is running. I found out about her through the wonders of that social media outlet called LinkedIn and learned about this great thing that she is doing because she actually had an experience. I know, as I recall, Dean, you don't have any uh, military background, but you have family and friends that do, and the same with me, because I have a cousin that served in the Army that is now retired, but he made it up to lieutenant colonel, if I remember his rank, uh, the last rank that he had and everything, but now he is doing civilian work. But we do know, as we've even had this conversation with my buddy uh, who does a thing, Captain Newborn, and that's actually his actual birth name. And he was not a captain in the military either, but Captain Newborn has done a lot of work with veterans in terms of reaching and hearing about these very horrible statistics. And I believe that's kind of where um, our guest came from in her learning about some of the things that our veterans were going through and wanted to find a way to help them. Because I want to say that your son was involved in the Army, and that's when you first learned about some of these shocking statistics that we are hearing from our military 
and kind of how you wanted to do your part to give back to our veterans. And I thought that for the month of November, you know, Veterans Day was a couple of weeks ago, and, of course, people are giving thanks in a few days for Thanksgiving, and some of the folks will be giving thanks to our military and some of the great things that they have done for our community. So that's why I thought that you would be a great guest for the month of November. So I would love for you to share with Dean, my co-host, as well as our international audience, some of the things that you've got going on with this powerful ranch of yours that is located in Colorado. Well, it's a pleasure to be on here with you. And my name is Tracy Whitehill, and I am the founder and CEO of Crusaders Valor for Veterans. So we have two programs. We have the program here located in Colorado with the horses, which is a horse retreat program with eight horses, um, five dogs, kittens, cats, uh, you name it, chickens, you can, anything. Veterans come out here, and I have a squad. It's called the Valor Squad, and I don't care what anybody else calls the squad. We've been the squad since ninth, er, since 2014. So we were the squad first, and these cowgirls range from the age of eight years old all the way up to 18, and then they have a few adults on squad like myself. We ride horses. We carry the flags and all the grand entries. We stand for the national anthem. We don't kneel. And we carry the flags for the national anthem during all of the rodeos across Colorado. We invite veterans to come out to this ranch with their families and have a retreat day and get away and enjoy. The girls are here to embrace them and share with them. And I got to be honest with you, some of these veterans and these teenage girls, they can banter a really good, funny joke, man. I mean, the dare, dare me things get a little out of hand. Um, never dare a double dog dare a cowgirl to do anything because they're going to do it. And um, that's how a, a veteran gets covered in cupcakes. Just saying. So, uh, and we also have our internet, our national program, which is the Valor for Veterans Emergency Triage Program, in which veterans go on the website, they fill out the form, they put in the information, it immediately comes to one of our advocates, we assess it as best as we can, and we help with rent, utilities, and food nationwide. Due to the COVID, we've had to check back to mostly food because almost everybody is still working on food or uh, rent and utilities. But um, last year, we helped out with just donations on LinkedIn from amazing small businesses that like transparency. So if you go on the website, Valor for Veterans, with an S, and F-O-R, dot U-S, you can see the transparency. You can see where the veterans are getting help. You can see where every dime is going. So nobody's making any money. I don't get a paycheck. Nobody on squad gets a paycheck. We all just do this for the veterans, whether in Colorado or nationwide. But I did start this because of my son. So here's where everybody needs to, to really listen. Our veterans come home, and they need us. And all we can do is say, thank you for your service. 99% of people say, thank you for your service. That's not good enough. My son came home. I thought he was great. Served in Afghanistan. He has a tumor in his brain from the burn pits that is still not recognized by the VA. Okay? Thousands and thousands of people have already died from the burn pits. 
he also came home with so much PTSD from what he's seen, what he's done, and what he's experienced. But I didn't know he was suicidal until somebody called me the night he tried to commit suicide. And I got to him before he ate his bullet. I got there in time to save him, which is why Crusaders Valor for Veterans started. Because I decided that I had to do something to help veterans. And anybody out there that goes to church, question. Do you even know in your church who your veterans are? Well, People with kids in your schools, do you know who in your school, which ones, those parents are veterans? I bet you 99% of us say no. Wow, that is amazing. And I know that, uh, like I said, Captain Newborn, who I've worked on the road to the Apollo with, he is oftentimes alarmed by some of those statistics that you were just sharing and everything, because I know he's oftentimes talked about how he feels that the VA doesn't do enough in terms of what they could do to help our veterans and things along that line. And you are right, so many folks do not know who the veterans are in their community and things of that nature, and he's oftentimes uh, shocked by the lack of services that they get, both from the medical side of things as well as from the mental health side of things as well. Because I do know that even here in Durham, North Carolina, there are some veterans that are unfortunately staying on what would be amounting to a homeless kind of situation, even though they do Are you in North Carolina? That. I am in North Carolina, yes. Okay, so North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida are the absolute worst three states to be a veteran in. North Carolina is the second. If you are a veteran in North Carolina and you are looking for help, you are screwed. Because there are no programs in North Carolina that truly actually help your veterans. And your VA there is so backlogged that they're shipping people out of state for care. So North Carolina and Georgia, then Florida, and then you can drop into probably the Midwest with Tennessee, Kentucky, drop down to Texas. Yeah, you think Texas has got all this money, they could probably do a better job, but the requests come in from Texas all over the place. Well, so and, uh, those Dean are your is, worst cases. Well, Dean is actually in, uh, like I said, I'm in North Carolina. Dean is actually in the New Jersey, uh, New York area, actually more like New Jersey, and he's also involved in the, the penal system. So I was wondering, um, what is your, like, feeling as to how the Northeast is doing in the way that they are treating their veterans as well? I'm sure that Dean would love to know that, and I'm sure that he's even had some veterans I that would... have unfortunately gone through the penal system. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of veterans that have done that. And unfortunately, I would have to say that there are, there are sadly a few things that are extremely biased against veterans. And one of them, unfortunately, is domestic um, like divorce cases. So if you're a veteran, whether you're a male or you're a female, unfortunately, our court systems, the judges in divorce cases, um, the spouse, whether it's a female or whether it's a male, are basically using the veterans service as a disservice by saying that they were taught to kill or they were taught to be okay with killing that, you know, they're using their service against getting custody of their own kids. This is happening across the entire country. It's wrong. There's nothing to say that a veteran can't be a good parent. Some of them come out here 
come out here with just a single parent that is a veteran parent, and they come out here and we see the magic and the amount of time they spend with with these kids, with their kids. So the the system itself for in domestic cases is absolutely broken. So as soon as you are a veteran and somebody calls foul on you, you know, you got mad, you got angry, the system says you're broken because you saw violence. Okay, well, we sent them there. We are, we're, they're over there fighting for our freedom, and our own court system is jacking them up, taking away their kids, putting on high, high special and child support, and taking it away from their disability benefits and not allowing them to see their own children. Now, up north, up in the, the on the coastline, there's a lot of cases that are a lot like that. In any of the high city areas, you're going to see that. Um, a lot of veterans call in and say, you know, I was thrown out of my house. I have child support to pay. I'm homeless. So it's, it's a problem across the country. And people have to understand that there is nothing for free. So socialized medicine is the VA. So if you're a veteran, it does not mean you get free medical care. It does not mean you can walk into the VA and say, I am a veteran. Here is my DD-214 that proves I was a veteran, and I'm sick or I need help. It doesn't work that way. So that is what socialized medicine looks. My son has a brain tumor and has had it for years. He got his second MRI in four years last week because he's been on a waiting list. Wow. So, um, and we're in Colorado, and we're pretty a, a pretty well-off state with a yeah, so. $10 million new building. Remember, everybody made fun of a new VA building. So people have to be aware of what these guys, what these men and women are facing everywhere. I mean, like mm-hmm. Veterans Day was basically canceled. Did you see? I mean, my my squad did an amazing video because we were all state, had to be in different places, and we put together a thank you video, and we challenged everybody else to do it. But the parades were canceled, the parties were canceled, the thank yous were canceled. Everything was canceled across the country for the veterans. And yeah, I think that, that you know, I thought it was sad. Yeah. Definitely. And you mentioned earlier that a lot of these young ladies are working with the veterans and everything. How do you go about getting these young ladies involved? Are they the children of veterans, or how do they actually decide to become part of uh, this whole group of uh, cowgirls that you have? The in Valor Squad. And, yes, the Valor Squad. How do they become part of the Valor Squad? If you get to join the Valor Squad, well, we, we have all sorts of types of things. We have some that are high-risk girls that came from extremely broken families. Um, they, uh, this is their lifeline, and they come in and they, their lives are a train wreck. But the, the the squad and the strength of the board and everybody that works together, we help them. And in return, they're magical with these veterans because they can really relate to some of these veterans situations, um, even though some of them are older and some of them are, are a lot younger and you wouldn't expect them to be able to do so. We have some that are, their parents and grandparents are veterans. We have some that just, you have to try out. You better know, you know what, first of all, we are crusaders. The reason we're called Crusaders Valor for Veterans is because anybody that is on or works with us, 
across this entire great nation, we're a crusader. We're a crusader for veterans. We've actually added law enforcement and first responders um, and active military toward our 2021 platform. So we will be doing all four groups at the same way, traveling hopefully throughout this country um, soon and recognizing all four categories in 2021. But these girls, they know what they have to do. They got to know that we are crusaders. Valor for Veterans is a program that we do. That is what we do. Crusaders is who we are. Valor for Veterans is what we do for everybody. And these young girls have a heart of gold. Some of them come in and I do have to say that it sucks that they all even though they're only 16 and 17, they wear the same jeans size as I do because I lose more jeans than I get. So <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I shared like six pairs of jeans today because nobody had any clothes, jeans to wear. I only have one pair left, the one that's on my body. <laughs> because these girls go out there and they give it up 200%. Well, and they you- believe these veterans should do that. We owe it to them. Yeah. Could you share some of the stories that you've had with the kind of, you mentioned some of that, but you mentioned the cupcakes and everything else. Could you share some of the bonding experiences that some of these young ladies have had with the veterans? Because I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about some of these bonding connections that they've had with these veterans and the uh, ways that they're helping them uh, get back into society and everything. So I'd love to hear some personal stories if you can have any that you can share with our listening audience. Absolutely, as long as nobody judges that you should never, never dare a cowgirl. So we can start with a cupcake one. I don't know if we're ever allowed to go back into another Dave and Buster's, um, but a veteran, a single dad veteran was having a birthday party for his son. And he, you know, didn't have, he brought, invited a ton of his veteran buddies. But his son was more the age of probably the middle of squad. He was like 16. So we had some younger and some older. So he invited the girls to come down for dinner and, you know, appetizers at Dave and Buster's. And he had this big table and he was, you know, doing this big thing for him. And it was kind of quiet because his poor son didn't, I don't think his poor son knew what to do with the veterans or what to do with the cowgirls. Um, because we are, well, we stand out a little bit with the way we dress. So he he wanted to fire things up. So he dared, double dog dared two of them to start a cupcake fight. And let's just say there was enough frosting and enough cupcakes to cover at least 15 to 20 veterans, the entire squad. And, well, his son was, we'll never forget his 16th birthday. But those girls and those veterans laughed and laughed and just they talked about stories and the girls like to listen to their stories although some of them are a little bit extreme I mean some of them are a lot about what they saw and what they did these girls can handle it they're trained to handle it we train them to understand what they're listening to Um, they like to hear the stories when they come out to the ranch we have now learned that if you are a man yes men I'm calling you all out and I ask if you've ever ridden a horse, it doesn't count if you rode one as, as a kid in a pony, on a pony. So we have a new little test. If we hand you a lead, if they think, yes, I've ridden horses, one of my girls came up with this one, Megan did. Megan's like, we got to figure out how to test the guys because they're not going to tell us that they don't know anything about horses. 
they all know everything about horses. So Megan came up with this idea that she would hand them a lead rope and halter, kind of like a dog leash and a collar to go put on a dog. And she'd go, you know what? Go and get the black horse out there. Now, if you can't put a lead rope and halter on, kind of like if you can't put a dog leash and collar on, you probably haven't been around very many horses. So that's our way of testing without humiliating the veteran. So then one of the girls goes out there and shows them how to put it on and says, hey, this is, this is how it works. But us as a squad know that we're dealing with somebody that just doesn't want to admit that they've never really been around a horse so that we're extra cautious with them. But it's an inside joke with the girls because women will come out here, women veterans will come out here and be the, they'll be the first ones to tell you, I'm, I, I'm so excited, but I've never done this in my life. But the men take one look at all us girls. Oh, yeah, I'm a cowboy. I got this. I'm not afraid. I've ridden. If you've ridden under the age of 10, it does not count. <laughs> and the girls get a kick out of it. And then we teach them how to clean stalls, and then they have races. The veterans and the girl, cowgirl, they'll be like, well, let's go clean some stalls. The guys like to help. And the girls, any veteran, they like to come out here. They like to feel like they're doing something like, uh, like to, I don't know, to say thank you or whatever. So help the girls clean the stalls. It always turns into a race, like between the cowgirl and the veteran, who can clean the stall the best and the fastest. It's, it's absolutely so, uh, funny, the competitions. It sounds like it. I'm thinking that me and Dean would be in that same category. So I'm thinking that, um, and I've not even done this, so I'm thinking that yeah, if you go to the bars and you've ridden one of those, like, horses, the mechanical bulls or anything like that, that doesn't really count for riding a horse. And the same with, like, going to the merry-go-round when you were a kid. That probably doesn't count either because you're talking about real horses that really like to kick and really like to cause damage if you don't know what you're doing. Yes, and ours are very cool. So the way the girls train these horses um, and myself is we have, my horse is the out horse. Her name is Ally. So she's the out horse, and she's the one that keeps all the other horses, like, in track and online. But the way the girls train the horses, and I trained Ally, was so a horse feeds off its rider. So if it's got a scared rider on it or a hesitant rider on it, um, or even walking in or dealing with it, then they respond and they think something's wrong. So we started doing trick riding, standing on them, riding them backwards, standing, you know, like going upside down with our hands in the stirrups so that we would, uh, we were scared. Our bodies would, I mean, if you're not scared and you're hanging upside down on a horse, you're probably dumb. Um, so our bodies would ooze off the chemical of being, you know, this might not be a good idea, and I'm kind of scared. And the horses would get used to the fact that nobody cares. Just do what you're told. Um, and so we train the horses that way, which sounds crazy, but the only way to make a horse insensitive to stress is to show it that when somebody's on it that's stressed, don't worry about it. That ally's got you. Ally is the out horse, and ally will take over. And I can actually ride ally and pony – ride it for the veteran next to them and they don't even know that ally is actually telling that horse what to do they're just having a blast so the girls and the and the veterans it's just it's magical even the girls take the phone calls so when you have a veteran that goes through the hotline um or did they online and they ask for food the girls will call them up and they'll find out what the situation is um only the girls that are over 18 can do that but the girls that are over 18 can call they'll 
pick up a call, and they'll call back and say, hey, what's going on, and how did this happen, and what's the plan moving forward? They'll verify everything. They know how to go through all of the scannings for the DD-214s and the um, disability and the SSDIs and be able to tell. These are all girls, teenage girls that are doing this, like with me. We've been doing it for years across this country. And it it just goes to show you that there's a lot of girl power out there. And, um, you know, we are very Christian, very Christian. Gonna go right there. We are Christian conservative cowgirls, and people know it when we show up with our purple heart, purple shirts, and we just believe that it's time to start changing the world for our veterans. Um, and our country has got to wake up to it, and they don't. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned the importance of faith, and I know that faith is very important to a lot of our listeners and everything. And even when I was reading about your profile. Um, and everything, it definitely seems like that is a very important part of your story as well. So I would love if you would share a little bit about the importance of faith to you and this mission that you've got. Like I said, I knew part of it was because of what you went through with your son, but I could also tell that faith plays a very important part as well. So Tracy Ann, if you could share a little bit about the importance of faith in this whole mission of what you're doing, I would love to hear you reflect on that as well. Well, yeah, God has guided me my entire life through great and bad. And believe me, 2020 has been absolutely a challenging year for me personally. Went through a major, nasty, yucky divorce. Um, so, you know, my faith is everything. God guides my heart, my soul, and my gut, and I pray every night that he does. Um, God put this mission, Helping Veterans, in front of me by letting me save my son. And um, so I don't take it lightly. But whenever my back is against the wall because I need to come up with a miracle in helping so many veterans in a week or whatever the case may be, all I have to do is, is pray and say, God, you gave me this mission. You put this mission in front of me. I'm doing everything I humanly possibly can, and I need your help. I need miracles. I need things to happen. These bills have to be paid tomorrow. And I'll tell you what, not once has God ever failed the program or me or these veterans. He's always made somebody out of the blue that went to the website, heard me talk, watched me in person. I mean, I can't go anywhere without somebody going, hey, Tracy, how are you? I even tried to put my hair in a baseball cap and go, but I guess this red curly hair is kind of hard to hide. Um, but God is always there. He's there in every aspect of my life. Um, and I, these girls' lives, we pray before we ride. We pray before we get together. We pray before we go to an event. We thank God afterwards. Um, all glory to God. So, I mean, there is, you know, there's nothing without faith. And we're at the time right now of miracles. This is the holiday season. It isn't happy holidays, by the way, everyone. It's a Merry Christmas. And you know what Xmas means? If you put X and then dash M-A-S. A young girl on squad told me this. So I'm telling you this. Mm. Xmas means you took the Christ out of Christmas. Oh. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. But think about it. 
X-M-A-S, so Happy Xmas, instead of Happy or Merry Christmas, uh, I, was, I couldn't believe she told me. She was like in third grade. She's like, do you know what that means? And I'm like, I'm like, no. And she's like, yeah, you took the Christ out of Christmas. Hey, it's hey, very enlightening. Huh? Oh, we have uh, someone that wants to, they're calling in, and they actually want to speak to you for a second. Caller, you are now on the line. Yeah, I was going to tell the lady, I was listening to her presentation on her program and her, her ranch, and I really appreciate that. Uh, you're conservative, you respect the flag, and you run a, you, res, you have faith, which is so much needed in just about everything that we do. And make sure that you give your website where I can go donate to your operation because we both share the same values. Wow. Well, thank you, sir, for your very, very kind words, person, the young girls that work with me and everybody on squad um, will certainly be appreciative of your kind words. And I'll make sure that we leave it. It's just Valor, so V-A-L-O-R-F-O-R, not the number for it, for veterans with an S dot U-S. And then you can see everything. You can see the Valor Squad pictures. You can see my story, my um, which I'm not going to read or I'll just cry. Um, and then you can uh, see the donate page. Could you say it a little bit things. slower? Could you say it a little slower? Okay. So it would be Valor, V-A-L-O-R, for okay. F-O-R, Veterans, V-E-T-E-R-A-N-S, dot U-S. Thank you very much. I got it. Thank you, sir, for letting, yeah. me, go, for, uh, letting me contribute to your show. Oh, no problem at all. And where are you calling from? And how did you hear about this show? Because we always love hearing from our audience from all throughout. So I'd love to know a little bit about yourself and how you actually heard about this particular show. So love to hear a little bit of your thoughts as to what you were hearing from uh, Tracy as well. From Definitely, I'm sure that you would love to hear more as to your own involvement and whether you're a veteran or have veterans in your own life. Well, I'm not a veteran, but I appreciate them and I used to contribute to the RTW Veteran uh, Home there in Chicago, and they used to feed about 3000 a month at that time. The lady that started, she sold everything, her and her husband, but they have since passed on. So I don't know if that uh, void is being filled. But uh, what this lady is doing, especially she's incorporating teenagers, and she's incorporating animals, which is, you know, if you could talk to an animal, I think they would tell you they appreciate the work veterans have done, too. Yeah, definitely would agree with that and everything. And I think that a lot of folks would share that thought with you and everything. Um, Tracy Ann, you had also mentioned earlier about how a lot of these veterans, and I had alluded to it earlier, are going through homelessness and other things, but y'all do stuff with the bigger program to do with uh, helping with rent and things of that nature. So how do folks get involved in that if they want to help the veterans with rent? Because we do know when a number of them do return, unfortunately, it's not just the VA, but it's some of our social agencies as well that aren't doing a good enough job in terms of helping our veterans get the needed 
services they need when they come back. So how would folks get engaged in that, and how would they help the veterans in that sense, not just the rodeo work, but also the work of trying to help veterans throughout the country um, get assistance, whether that's food assistance or whether that's assistance with living? Okay, so I'm going to wake up everybody, and you're all going to be really, really shocked. So most nonprofit veterans organizations, okay, your big wigs like Operation Homefront, USA Cares, Wounded Warriors, fantastic programs, do not get me wrong, but they only help post-9-11 disabled veterans, okay? So listen to everything I just said. If you're pre-9-11, you don't qualify. If you don't have a rating of being disabled, which has to go through the VA and can take five to ten years to get a rating, you don't get your disability rating, which is why I'm saying it's socialized medicine at its best because you have to pay to go to the VA even though you're a veteran because you're in a waiting process where they look to see how damaged you are. Okay, so people don't understand the difference between all these programs. So the VFW is a very good program. Um, the American Legion is a, is a good program, too. They're all in everybody's community. They typically will help a veteran that walks straight in with their DV-214. I'm going to give them kudos because we team up with them a lot. The Valor program, you go online and you fill out right there the same website it gave you. And again, right now we're doing food because we need, you know, everybody is donating millions of dollars to these huge programs that are paying CEOs hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm making nothing. None of my people on my squad are making anything. Nobody on the board makes anything. We do all this because we care. But if if people are donating and they've got eight, nine, ten people on they're paying a major portion to employees. I mean, that's great. You're helping veterans, but people should be aware that they're only helping certain veterans. So when you go on there, you fill out your application, it comes to us. We look at it. We verify that they are a veteran. Our donors need to know that transparency is it. We make sure you're a veteran. We make sure you're a veteran that left honorably. We make sure that you are a veteran that, serve the time in which you signed up to serve. If you are honorably discharged and you serve this country at any time, we even help Vietnam veterans that nobody else wants to help. So you, we go through it and we verify who they are, what they are. We also verify this is a hand up, not a handout. What is your plan for the next month? Like, Do you need help getting a job? Do you need help in any aspect of your life? And therefore, we can verify that if we're going to pay your rent or we're going to catch up your utility bill, then we know you have a plan for next month. That it's these veterans, I mean, we're taking donor dollars and we're being very responsible with them. I don't give a dime to a veteran. I pay the bill, or one of the advocates pays the bill. We pay the bill. We buy the groceries at Walmart, and they pick them up on the grocery, you know, on the little pickup line there. Nobody gets any money because we don't know what a veteran, I don't know that veteran personally, especially if they're in North Carolina or Georgia. I don't know what they're going to do with cash money. So we pay the bill online ourselves, right from the donors that donate. And then we post it on the activity feed 
and the veterans we help feed on our website so people can see how much money we're spending. Now, right now, we've got, we're getting in donations because we would like to do Christmas dinners for veterans that truly need it. Now, again, there you go. Note the words I just said. Not a veteran, but a veteran that truly needs it. And there is a difference. If you're a veteran and you are doing well off, you don't need somebody to buy you a Christmas dinner. There are enough veterans out there that are not going to have Christmas dinner with their families because they actually truly need the help. So we will yeah. we will be checking which ones need help and which ones don't really need help and just want a free meal. So everybody has to realize that we are very transparent and we hold ourselves to a very high standard of being Christian. Um, you know, of, uh, we back the military 100%. I think we should continue to build it. I think we should protect our um, our country. U.S. Unite. I'm sorry, but American first. I don't care whether you're what whatever race you are. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're all Americans, and that is what should come first. We should all respect yeah. one another. We should all love each other and care about each other. And we should be teaching our children this, which is what Squad knows. Yeah, I was going to say, because is the squad made up of a lot of different uh, ethnicities and things of that nature? Because one of the things I was wondering about, even in terms of, like, the makeup of the squad, but also in terms of, like, support. Because I would actually, um, I know that in terms of my own um, politics, I probably mean more Democratic than Republican, but I have friends that are Republicans. And I actually personally feel that both parties have been letting down the veterans and everything. So I was wondering, would you agree with that? And also, because it seems to me that both uh, parties have done a, not a great job of supporting our veterans, including some of the independents as well. I would have to say yes, but our entire country has let them down. I mean, Trump made some really good changes in the VA policies um, that started this uh, out of patient, like you can get your own doctor and stuff like that. That has made a huge difference in a lot of veterans across the country. But in overall, and, and I'm going to tell you this straight up, it has nothing to do with whether you're a veteran or whether you're an American citizen. If you go outside and you look around your own city and your own county and your own state and you live in a massive shit show, I'm sorry to swear, but just being honest, you need to take a serious look at who you keep voting in, whether it's a Republican, whether it's a Democrat, or whether it's an independent. So it, it the definition of insanity is to repeat the same thing over and over again. So when we as anybody in this country complains about what's going on in Washington, you all need to look in the mirror and you need to say, I voted in the same person and nothing changed the last four years or the last eight years or the last 20 years or whatever years they were in there. Nothing changed in my district Yet I voted them in again. I'm sorry, but why? They are the government works for us. We are their bosses. They should be held accountable, each and every one of them, from the level of the state up in the Congress, in the Senate. They should be held accountable not only for our country but for their own doggone districts. 
So if you live in a city that's full of crap and you don't like what's going on in your city, stand up and be heard. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican and independent or you just vote along the facts of what's right and what's wrong based on guiding your God guides my heart and my guts. So my ticket wasn't completely red. But I and I had a, a few blue ones on there because Democrats, because I knew that their constituents were get, they were doing a good job in the state of Colorado. But there were a few that got in that shouldn't have. I'm like, you're back? Are you serious? Like you've done nothing. And, and, and look at California. I mean, I'm sorry, no disrespect, Nancy Pelosi, but go outside your gates and look at the people you represent. And what have you done for them lately? I think there's a song. What have you done for me lately? Somebody in there should play that song. Because yeah, I feel bad like for people that are like, huh? Yes, it's another like great song for folks to use on the political front because a lot of times we don't. Uh, we elect folks, and oftentimes we elect them based on uh, PACs and things of that nature. So local PACs may give you a sheet. I know one of the things that Dean prides himself on is being an independent thinker and definitely not always going down one party line or another. So I do believe that uh, that's the, probably the best way to have to do our research and research all of the candidates and not necessarily vote strictly one party or the other. But as, as you put it, put find out how they're going to better your situation. Because oftentimes I do find that we don't spend enough time paying attention to our local politics. And by that, I mean even our mayors and our city councils. Amen. And our and county commissioners and a number of others. Yep. Absolutely. If you don't even care what's going on in your own – I mean, now a lot of people do because especially people in need. So, like, our veteran community is a, is a community that's in need, right? And there are a lot of other people that are uh, that, just lower-income people that need help, that are desperate for help, right? But they're not getting it. They're not getting any help. So they need to be going to the polls. They need to be looking at it and saying, why am I voting in this person again? Whether, like you said, it's at the, your own mayor, your own city mayor. I mean, like, people need to pay attention. It shouldn't be red or blue. It should be, what are you doing for me now? You work for me. Yeah. I might be a homeless person on the streets, but I, you still work for me. You're the government, and you're doing nothing for me now. And that's what this country has got to start taking a look at. We shouldn't be socialistic. We should not be giving things away. We should be encouraging people. But, like, Colorado, we yeah, took a huge hit because as a state two years ago we voted as a state 80 percent voted for oil gas and fracking to continue our governor did an executive order and banned it we lost hundreds of thousands of jobs to north and south dakota they all left they had to leave the state because he did an executive order to get rid of what, what we already voted for. I get it. You want to do an executive order? Great. But don't put it on the ballot first. Get everybody in the state of Colorado to vote one way or the other, and then you don't like the way they vote. So you go in there and say, you know what? I don't like it. I, I don't want oil and fracking in Colorado. 
So veterans are in veterans do that job. That's one of the biggest jobs that veterans do is working on oil rigs. They are they they like working on their own. They like working outside. They're reliable. They're focused. They aren't afraid of the elements, and they work hard on those things. Well, so I mean, one of, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say one of the things that really surprises me about Colorado, and I'd love to hear your perception perspective on this and everything is, um, and I said the same thing about North Carolina, but Colorado has always struck me as being a state that is in some ways conservative in values, but it also can be very liberal in values. Because, like I said, in some ways y'all have some very conservative values from what I've heard about the ways of the attitudes, but then y'all are also the state that is one of the several that has legalized parts of the marijuana industry and everything of that nature. So I've never quite sure which way Colorado is going. I know that y'all were read this time, but it definitely seems to be one of those states that has like some independent attitudes as well. Or is that just a misreflection on my part as somebody oh, that's oh. way over here on the East Coast? Colorado is, um, well, it wasn't this way back in the day, but it is now. So Colorado is a landing pit for California people um, and other like everybody that wants to get a you know it's a wealthy state so the marijuana that passed is i would have to say it's made the state very wealthy the taxes have made the state extremely wealthy and the state does have to use it within the state they have so they use it for a lot of their local programs because they can't use it for anything federal um i would say the colorado's problem is that you know you got the farmers and you got the the people that were in the Midwest for a long, long time, generations of generations of people. And they are very, very conservative. And then you have, you know, the Denver area, metropolitan Denver, the, you know, of course, Boulder and a, a small community in Fort Collins that are extremely liberal. Um, they are, you know, whatever should be free like they truly believe that there's a tree out front that has money on it that it should somehow be given to somebody or them like there's a money tree i mean like my grandkids are always like you know what yeah i can get this i'm like well i'm not sure how you're gonna get that you have no money oh i have money i'm really i'm like you're two you don't have any money but it's free i'm like it's free because somebody bought it for you and I think that that's what's wrong with not only Colorado, certainly Colorado's got the problem. So if by population vote, we are not a red state. We are a blue state. And we are not a blue state by anybody that really is contributing to the state. We are a red state if you were to go around and out into the country and into the mountains and into the communities of the historic Coloradoans that have horses and still run ranches and still make food for everybody. We are, they are conservative. They are, they don't believe in socialized medicine. They believe in helping people. I mean, but they, you know, and they donate a lot of their money, their food off these farms for free to all the farmers markets to help people out for free. So Colorado is a mixed bag of, probably a mess at this point um i think things will change in 2022 i've been asked to run but i don't think i'm going to but in 2022 um 
I, I think things are going to change in Colorado because if we don't get the oil and gas back, we won't have any jobs in Colorado, which means people have to start moving out of the state really fast. I mean, they're going to have to leave. I mean, there's no choice. So the veterans in this state, I will tell you right now, sadly, and certainly not to my trying, Colorado is right there with North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida, one of the worst states to be a, a veteran in. And we have a brand-new $10 million, billion-dollar building that is only 25% filled because they haven't taken the time to bring in all from all over the offices or across the state into this big building. And it is a crap show for veterans in the state of Colorado. And I'm uh, sad to say that because I live here, and but I'll back it up with anybody that wants to challenge me on what Colorado does. And what are some of the things that you think just, just a common citizen, other than getting involved in your program, can do to help the veterans that are out there? Because like I said, I'm oftentimes amazed, and I will go and have conversations with them at some of the folks that are in um, coming into Big, well, they're veterans because they've served in the military, but they're running into all kinds of things that are not fair to them. So just for the common citizen, what are some of the ways that you would urge people to help the veterans in their community, be that in North Carolina, New Jersey, or any parts of our country? What are some of the ways that you think we can actually engage and help our veterans as they come back into civilian life? Well, first of all, thank you for your service is nice, but it means nothing to them at this point. It is a kind thing to say, but it, backing it up with actions is what's important. But it starts with the grassroots that I said in the very beginning. Do you even know in your own circle, in your own kids' circle, in your own church, wherever you're, you, you go to your gym, um, whatever you do in life, where you work, um, do you even know who the veterans are? Most people don't. So if you can't even even think about grasping that thought, like, I don't even know who they are. I mean, how many people right now that are listening to the show can sit there and say, you know what? I don't know how many of my kids' friends' parents are veterans. Oh, my God. How many of my kids' friends' parents are active and serving overseas? Like, how many of us even take the time to know those little things? Unless we start at the grassroots, like you were saying back when we were talking about politics, about voting in your mayor and voting in those. Okay, if you don't know who, who they are, then you don't know how to reach out. If you go to church and you knew all your veterans or you, your, your kids go to school and you know, you would know when a veteran drops off the radar. 22 veterans, and this number is going up every day right now during this pandemic, 22 veterans commit suicide a day. 22 veterans. Okay? That, I've done the push-up challenge. Everybody likes to challenge me to the push-up challenge 22 a day for 22 days. So please nobody challenge me. I've done it enough. I can do 100 push-ups in one day, so doggone it. Don't challenge me. But 22 veterans commit suicide a day. And there's a challenge going around when you do it and you post it out there every day to remind people that that's what happens to veterans that are go untreated. So it starts with looking, looking inside your own heart and your own soul, 
looking around your own community. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It can be just knowing who in your life is missing in action. Because you might be able, I would not have saved my son's life if somebody had not called me, if somebody had not told me that he was going, that he was, that it was going, he was going off the rails and it was going fast. So all, everybody out there, it's a very simple thing. It, it, it's not really that complex. Most of them don't, most of them just want somebody to talk to, or most of them would like a home-cooked meal that you could drop off. Or most of them would just like you to to recognize the fact that you're aware of it and you notice when they're not okay. They don't want to talk about their service. They don't want to talk about what they did. They don't want to be shrunk. They want to just be a part of your life. And they're willing to live in the shadows if we keep letting them stay there. And that's what this country's been doing, is letting them live in the shadows because they're an inconvenient truth. And I'm afraid, and I would love to hear Dean's thoughts on this as well, but I'm afraid that too many of them are also getting caught up in the prison system as well. Because like I said, I know Dean's been involved in that field for a number of years. So I'd love to have Dean's reflections on this, and then I'd love to hear from you as well. Um, Definitely if you could share some of your thoughts on that, because I do think that too many of them are getting caught up in our penal system. So Tracy Ann, I'm sure that you have some thoughts. but. Dean, what are your thoughts? Because you've been working in the penal system there in New Jersey. Are we seeing a number of the folks that are in the system there in New Jersey that are also um, veterans or former veterans, the kind of folks that Tracy Ann has been working to help? Some, but not a a great number. So, um, I mean, like we have maybe, I I couldn't even tell you the exact count because it's self-reported. So there are some individuals who may be veterans that, have never even spoken about their military service. And then there's some who actually have spoken out about, you know, having served in the military, but a, a truly accurate picture I really couldn't give you because that's not one of the, uh, well, it is one of the questions when they're booked in, but it's not 100%. You know, some people may choose not to divulge that information. Others choose to, you know, let it be known. So it's it's a little tricky when you say, okay, we have this many veterans because the number will never be truly accurate. The same way when we do discharge planning and we ask individuals if they need assistance with certain things such as substance abuse, housing, you know, educational opportunities and stuff like that, and they say no, but they really do need the assistance. So it's kind of, it's kind of tricky when you ask that question. Like I said, some people will be forthcoming and, and, and give that information to you while others may not. And well, I would I love to hear to... your thoughts. Go ahead, Tracy. Oh, sorry. What I was going to add to that is I sometimes wonder about the stigma that folks have about being veterans. Yes, we want them to be proud of the fact that they served in the military, but then there are those that feel that they've been stigmatized by being in the military as well, so they may not want to reveal that they were veterans. I, not that yeah, I have a you know, and I'm Go ahead, Go ahead. Uh, Dean. Well, it, it oh, because I have a friend that just recently moved to town. He just recently moved to Durham, North Carolina, and he's moved from Detroit. So he'll be sad to hear that things are not great for the veterans here because he is a veteran and served uh, admirably and all of that. But he has moved from Detroit to now Durham. So, of course, he's going to have to get involved in the veteran system 
here in North Carolina where he had been doing it in the Michigan area. But even he sometimes talks about some of the stigmas that he's gone through as a military veteran. So I'm sure that you also have to deal with that as well, Tracy Ann, how sometimes it's become too much of a stigma when it should be something that folks should be proud of and everything. Well, I would have to say that the problem with the penal system is that if a veteran admits that they're a veteran, um, especially, I mean, I, I, first of all, there are certain things that no matter whether you are any human being, okay, like across the board, man, women, young, old, whatever, any human being, you know, there are certain things that you shouldn't be able to call any kind of card out, a veteran card, anything else, the rape, murder, you know, any of those things. You should not. But what veterans are predominantly getting in trouble for is usually DUIs, domestic violence, and substance abuse. They give out their – they put that down on their paperwork, like he stated, that they, they choose not to. It's because they, if they do get benefits, they lose their benefits. So if they're disabled, a disabled veteran in some capacity and they get picked up on a GUI and they don't put down that they are a veteran, it's because they're gonna, if it comes to full light that they made a mistake, which we all make mistakes, so no one's perfect. God, God died for our, you know, Jesus died for our sins on the cross, so no one's perfect. So these men and women, when they, they put that down or someone finds out, they lose their, bene- their, their disability benefits. So that's one of the reasons why the penal system doesn't know some of these guys are veterans because they will lose their, their benefits. And once they go through court, it usually comes out. And then, of course, it affects their families, um, certainly more so than usually the veteran, because if they go to if they're incarcerated, then the veteran's family loses their benefits across the across the board. Um, as far as the stigma, um, I would state that most veterans now are, are are pretty proud they served this country. I would say that, you know, I still get deal with Vietnam veterans um, and, you know, they still feel like this country sucks. I'm gonna, that's about the best word I could use. Um, they still feel like they came home to a bunch of hate um, and they, they can't get past it. Um, Vietnam veterans, and we've done a lot for Vietnam veterans as a squad, um, including doing a lot of openings for Vietnam memorials where squad shows up. But they, they, really, they really have a bad case for this country because of the way they were treated when they came home. Today's veterans, I don't, I don't think there is – most of them are pretty proud. Um, it really depends on what they did. I mean, you know – if, if they're doing special ops and they're doing things that are you know, like highly classified, you know, they saw a lot more than somebody that, you know, might've been over there just working security, but anybody that served overseas, anybody that went over there in any field and uh, any kind of um, active um, area, and believe me, there's been a lot of them that none of us know about, they, they're pretty proud when they come back. They wear their hoodies. They wear their baseball caps, um, and that's something people can watch for. Look at look at guys with their hats on, because a lot of them will have 
Korean veteran, uh, Vietnam vet, um, Navy vet, Army vet. A lot of them will have them. You walk up to some of those dudes with or women with just their caps on in the grocery store, and you just, you know, I know we're social distancing right now. Put out your fist because you can do the hand bump, and that's not credit. That's not play. You just say thank you for your service. These guys, they wear those hats. They think they go unrecognized, but it's a silent sign to the rest of the world that they're there. And you'll be surprised how many of you all are listening right now to me. And when you go out and you start looking at these baseball caps on these people, and you're like, wow. Okay, just go up there. Elbow bump them, fist bump them. You know, put your hand over your heart and say thank you for your service. Because yeah, definitely. it definitely makes a difference. Yep, yeah, definitely makes a difference. Um, one thing I was going to say <clears throat> is you mentioned that your son had gone through serving in Afghanistan and everything. Was this something that you were expecting him to go into the military, or was it like a family heritage of the military in your family, or was he like the first generation? Like I said, I've got cousins that served in the – well, one cousin in particular that served in the military, in the Army and everything. His dad – I served in the Army. My dad was in the Air Force before getting involved in the civil rights struggle here in the 60s and everything. But I have seen some family members that have definitely been, you know, a family of military history. So, But then there are others that just decided they want to travel the world and get a chance to see the world from a different perspective. And then there are some folks that do it because they are um, concerned about what's going on in the world, and they want to play a role in that kind of situation as well. So what was your own family's history? Was there, like, a large history of folks being involved in the military, or was he, like, a first-generation military person? No, well, well kind of – it's kind of like a um, history story and a funny story. So we'll start with the history. So, no, my father is a veteran. Um, my uh, grandfather is a veteran. I have a brother-in-law that is – actually still serving i have um a nephew that is a veteran and oh gosh the list could go on and on so no there, there's there's a lot of people that that have served uh, my son on the other hand at 17 popped in with um the paperwork to join the military um he joined the army at first and um right there in um what was 2006 i think no maybe 2004 10 five years i don't know so he decided he's going to join the army. I, I was shocked, and I'm like, I think you've been watching the Hawaii tour for the military too much. And he, he was not dead set, so he went off to um, Missouri, and Fort Lost in the Wood is what they call it is a joke. He got trained, and he was um, a medic in the army. Served four years um, in Texas in the Bernie unit down there in San Antonio. Um, came home three weeks later. I'm like thanking God. I'm like, he's home. This is fantastic. And three years, three weeks later, he came home, came over to me. He says, you know what, mom? Surprise. I joined the Navy. I'm like, you and I need to decide what surprise and a shock means. Cause you did this to me when you grew up, when you're in high school. And now you're saying that you joined the military again. And he's like, yeah, I'm in the army, in the Navy. He goes, I joined the Navy and this time I'm going to go up. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not a surprise. That's a shock. And so thinking everything was safe, he went off to school. And two weeks later, he called me up and said that he had decided to take a special mission 
where the Army was shorthanded and needed ops guys. And he was going to go on loan from the Navy. There's a word for it, but I'm not real sure what the I word is, augmentate or whatever. You're on loan. So he went from the Army to the Navy and was sent back, went to Afghanistan voluntarily for a year and a half. So, again, another surprise, as he called it. I'm going to Afghanistan. I'm like, you're what? I go, again, we got to work on the surprise shock thing. Um, So he actually went missing. His entire platoon went missing for two weeks um, in, what, probably 2009, uh, right around Halloween for about three weeks. He went off the radar, um, and they didn't know where the unit was. Uh, I remember a ladybug, another family story from me, a ladybug showed up on my cement out front uh, when I went to go outside to feed the kittens outside the barn. I'm like sitting there thinking, what is a ladybug doing on the cement outside my house in this temperature? And that day... My son called and had been found and rescued and brought back because they were barricaded in. Wow. It's amazing sometimes the ways that, uh, as you would put it, we get messages from spirits or um, I have some Native American heritage. They would call it a spirit animal. And definitely sometimes you get those messages and everything that are like, um, as the Christians would put it, God sent and everything. So it sounds like you had one of those cases where you actually got the message that your son was going to be all right, even though he'd been missing for some time. Yes. The ladybug is always my great nanny. So my mom's mom is always, her spirit has always been kind of the ladybug and anybody in our family or anybody on squad, um, all the veterans that I know, all the people that come in contact with me personally. And now all of you out there listening, when you see a ladybug and it just lands there, just know that it means everything is going to be okay. And sometimes the ladybug isn't meant for you. Sometimes the ladybug is meant for somebody in your family. You're like, well, my life is going great. There's nothing wrong with it. I wonder who the ladybug is for. And you'll make a couple calls to your family members, and you'll find somebody in stress, and you'll be like, you know what? The ladybug landed today on me. So it must have been for you, and everything's going to be okay. So it is a spirit animal, and for my family, we have hundreds of stories that would make up a great book, but Nicholas's story, there's nothing. I mean, I was so afraid when the doorbell would ring or the phone would ring, or I'd love it. People would call me and be like, oh, my God, do you see what's going on in Afghanistan? That's where your son is, and I'm like, no, dude, I'm really not watching the news because I don't want to hear what you're about to say. But they still got to feel like they got to call and tell you how bad it is where your kid's located. And I, I, was, I was frozen. I think I was literally frozen for like two weeks. I just didn't know what was going to happen. So when I saw that ladybug and he called that day, I knew the whole, his whole unit because he was one of the guys on top. I, I knew it was going to – they were all coming home safe. The whole unit had been saved. They had just been stuck because they didn't have enough firepower after they firepowered themselves in to get themselves out. And these people that are serving this country in every capacity, even if you're the cook on a base, you still have to listen to these stories. You're still going to have PTSD. You're still going to come home 
traumatized. And our country, our country needs to, I'm sorry, I love football like everybody. And I'm I'm pro Kansas City, Mahomes, he's my dude. I love him. I think what he does for his community is great. I think what their team stands for is great. But I'm sorry, nobody in this country should take a knee for the flag because it isn't about anything else but our country and the people that fought for it. And I don't care who wants to agree to disagree. We can do that. You can hate me like all the other people do. You can believe in me. That's fine. But the bottom line is our flag flies for our freedom and the people that fought for it. So if you're anybody out there, you should stand for the flag and kneel for the cross and find another way to get whatever point you want from whatever aspect or avenue you need to get it through. Do it that way. But these men and women, they come home with a flag draped over their coffin when they die. Their families get that flag handed to them after it's folded. Then they have it in a case on their shelves to remember that person by. So you don't kneel for it. You stand for it because of them. Yes, you have the right to kneel because they fought for your right to kneel. But no, there's a lot, lot of sense. I makes a lot of sense, difference. and I did want to bring another one of our guests and everything. But along those same lines, I was going to say that I agree with what you're saying about the importance of uh, the flag and everything, because like I mentioned, my uncle passed away not that long ago, and he was a military person. So his youngest son actually got that flag that you're talking about because the older son was actually in, um, I believe, Saudi Arabia doing a military um, civilian contract. So he's done with his military service, but he was actually in Saudi Arabia. So the younger son took that flag, and it was then he's now back in the States. He might be getting ready to go back to Saudi Arabia for another civilian contract, but he now, I believe that flag is now in his possession because it does go to the oldest sibling. But the younger sibling took it for him until they were able to make that transfer and everything. But I do want to bring in, and I hope that you'll stay on it as well, but I want to bring in my good friend, Leonardo, and I know that Leonardo has got this great restaurant here in Durham called Zwelli's, and they've done a lot of work in terms of helping our community and, and have definitely been involved in a number of things, including like trying to find ways to help folks that are going through the pandemic. They've even done some great food orders and stuff for folks that have gone through what we're facing with the pandemic. So he's done some great work in that field, and I think that he's also done, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Leonardo, but we've been having uh, Tracy Ann on our conversation, and she is definitely a veterans advocate and has done a lot of work with the veterans there in Colorado. And I want to say that you've done some work with our local veterans in terms of using Zwellies as a platform for them as well. So I definitely want to share a little bit about the various things that you were involved in, including, of course, your buying black movement and everything. But definitely I want you to share a little bit about Zwellies, which I think is an amazing restaurant. I've had the pleasure of having some of your food, not at the restaurant, because I still haven't got to the restaurant yet. I know that's wrong to me, Leonardo. I need to get to the physical restaurant, <laughs> but I have had the food with y'all and done catering at some locations. So I do make it, I do plan to make it a point 
to get to the restaurant itself. But I know that you are from Halifax County. I'm from Warren County, so we're from the country part of North Carolina. Your wife is actually from Zimbabwe, so that's why you got into the whole Zimbabwean food and everything. But if you would share with Tracy and my good buddy Dean, as well as our listeners, a little bit about the story of Zwellies. Well, well, uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, hello to all of my fellow guests on the show tonight. Uh, yes, we are, you know, we're a restaurant, but yet so much more. Uh, myself, I'm, I always say I'm straight from the country, and my wife is straight to the country. Uh, I'm from, as you stated, Halifax County, northeastern North Carolina, uh, and she's from Zimbabwe, Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. And we met in college at North Carolina Central. Uh, interesting quick story. I met her my freshman year in 2000. Uh, I fell deeply in love with her. I fell so in love with her, I forgot I had a girlfriend already. And and, and I, you know, when she when I tried to fix that situation, uh, she uh, happened to catch me in the act, and she smacked me. And I didn't. She just smacked me and walked away. And after she smacked me, which she smacked the living fear in me, uh, I didn't see her again. Uh, I didn't see her uh, until 13 years later. And 13 years later is when I ran into her, and uh, by then I'd grown up and become a man. And I said, well, you know, I needed to apologize for what I did as a little boy. And, um, well, I'm not going to let you go again. So here we are. Um, We got back together in 2013. We, uh, you know, started our life together. And um, I was, at the time, a former teacher of the year for Durham Public Schools, and community advocacy is one of my biggest things that I've always been, uh, you know, passionate about, and food has always been hers. Um, I went from, you know, teacher to principal to uh, over in Warren County as an associate, you know, uh, as a federal uh, programs director uh, for the school system there before working with Governor Cooper at the state level doing executive education policy analysis. And um, from there, we opened the restaurant. Uh, We decided to jump out and take a leap of faith and sort of write our own retirement plan. And, um, you know, we have quite the unconventional story, which I may get into a little later, on how we got this place open. But, you know, uh, I say it's more than a restaurant. It is a restaurant because we serve amazing food. You know, the, uh, it, up until two months ago, we were the only Zimbabwean restaurant in the United States. Um, uh, there, There's one that just recently opened, I'm told, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we're we're introducing this this flavor palette, this flavor profile to Americans, and I'm loving it, and so are all the other Americans and other nationalities that come here. Um, we do lots of uh, you know activities in the community, you know, and that was the that was the agreement. If we open a restaurant, my first restaurant job is the only one. So if we do this, I still need to make sure that we can have some form or fashion uh, of contributing back to the community. And so since January of this year. Um, we've served over 47,000 meals and donated 47,000 meals to the community. Um, just about every, you know, meal that's purchased in our restaurant, we can donate two or three. Um, and we've uh, raised over $30,000 for communities in need. Um, we have collected over 34 donated items and given those to a, a donation bank for families in need. And we work uh, on a regular with over 400 volunteers. So our restaurant is the epitome of what we call a um, a public-private partnership. Uh, and right now, this week, 
At, literally, in my restaurant right now, we're preparing meals because we're feeding 500 families for Thanksgiving, and we're feeding 1,200 for Christmas. And uh, we're wow. partnering, partnering with uh, the We Are Foundation. And uh, so the way we describe public-private partnership, there are a lot of nonprofits that are out there that are sitting on money because they can't really act out their mission because of COVID. So what I said was, well, why don't you, you know, alter your mission a little bit and let's feed the city. So that's what we're doing. You know, nonprofits and foundations are adjusting their mission and they are working with, you know, entities such as mine and we're, you know, feeding the folks, feeding the families. So uh, 500 families will get fed uh, out of our restaurant this this week, and if an, each meal kit can feed four people, so it's 500 meal kits of those. Wow, that's amazing! And I know that uh, definitely uh, Tracy Ann could relate to that because uh, earlier before you jumped on, she was talking about some of the work that they do with the uh, ranch that she's got over there in Colorado in terms of working with the veterans. There's a uh, group that is not getting enough support from our world and everything. So she's doing a lot of that work with her kids. And these are uh, young ladies. I think she said that the youngest is um, in that age range of, I want to say you said eight or nine, and the oldest are like around 18. And then there are a few that are older, but the majority of them are definitely kids and they are working with the veterans and things of that nature. And they're learning that they do not necessarily know what riding a horse is. I've told her that even though I grew up in Warden, I'm not one that can actually say that I've ridden a horse. You grew up in Halifax. Maybe you could say that you've ridden a horse. I was not going to tell that lie. But Leonardo, have you actually <laughs> dealt with any horses or not? Because I wasn't going to tell that lie in my life. <laughs> well, you know, there's a very, there's a really big and popular horse riding group in your home county, Warren County, um, and so in, so in my county. Uh, so I'm six five, and anything bigger than me, I'm afraid of. And my cousin, who owns lots of horses, said they can feel your fear. And I couldn't hide my fear, so I said, you know, I'm not going to bother. I'm just going to keep my distance. <laughs> so, I, and I was told that when I was a young kid, and I never got around to riding horses. <clears throat> but if I'm in Colorado, I'm coming by the ranch. Absolutely, absolutely. And then you can cook because I'm not a cook. Um, actually, I'm an absolute master at the microwave. Um so I'm a great heater. So I can take just about anything and heat it up, and it usually tastes really um, good. You, you, out here, our number one food is we call it cowgirl mac and cheese. We're gonna blow your, we're gonna make your restaurant look amazing. So the girls got tired of doing dishes, and they all stay here a lot. So you, know, you have eight girls spending the night. It's that's a lot of dishes, and you know it's a country oh, farm. Wow. You don't have a dishwasher, so country mac and cheese, cowgirl mac and cheese is made in a great big bowl in the microwave, and eat, like you put the noodles in, you wait till they get soft, so it takes two boxes, then they're soft, and you add the butter and the, the a little bit of milk and the cheese, and then everybody gets a plastic spoon and eats out of it, and then you only have one dish to clean, everything else gets thrown away. So, yes, you can laugh, you can laugh, but when you, you know, giving out riding horses and cleaning the stalls and doing events all day, you know, it tastes really good and nobody wants to do the dishes. So, <laughs> call it cowgirl mac and cheese, all in one bowl and you use a plastic spoon and everybody, well, can eat out of the same bowl. Uh, 
so far from your amazing sounds of restaurant food that everybody's going to be blessed to have this week. Um, that's that's amazing what you're doing for people in your community, and it goes back to what I told everybody earlier. Focus in on your small communities and help within your communities. And if we all do that, we will change the country. No, no doubt about that. And that's one of the things that I know Leonardo is very much about and everything. If you would share a little bit with our audience of the story as to how the restaurant came about. I know you said you'd wait, but we might as well dive into it because I've always found it to be a fascinating story. So if you would share a little bit as to how the restaurant came into being. And as I recall, I think that you said that you are not always the greatest cook either, but that your wife is the master cook and everything. But I think that I remember you saying that, but I'd love to hear more as to how the restaurant got started. Yeah, so I can make a mean pancake. I, I'm the pancake guru, you know, and I, and I can dibble and dabble in the kitchen a little bit, but my wife is magical. She is magical in the kitchen. It's amazing what she can do with these flavor combinations. And that's why she, she doesn't call herself a chef. A chef. She calls herself a flavorist. Um, so with her, you know, it, it all started when, you know, when we were together, you know, she uh, she made something for me, and I, I mean, I it was emotional. <laughs> it was emotional. And I said, somebody has to taste this. You know, and when I, you know, kind of went up the ladder in education here in North Carolina, I, you know, I, I was making enough money, and I told her, you know, I said, you know, running your, you know, job is really stressful, so why don't you just take a leave of absence? You know, I'll take care of the household and, you know, don't feel like you have to be equal. I got it. I'll hold it down for us. And, you know, my wife is not the type to just sit home and not do anything. So <laughs> she stayed home for a week after leaving her job, and, well, she started, like, putting little sandwiches, making different types of sandwiches together. And while I'm out at the office, at the governor's office, you know, she's out at lawyers and doctor offices and small, small firms, and she's giving out samples. And the next thing you know, the phone would not stop ringing. Everyone wanted to wanted her to cater a box lunch. So uh, it got so bad that here I am in the governor's office in a really nice suit, leaving the governor's office, running to Durham, picking up catering, taking it to a delivery, rushing back to Raleigh, smelling like chicken in a really nice suit, and I became the laughing stock of the office. And so I, I said, you know what, there's something to this. <laughs> uh, I basically, I, I said, babe, we're going to open a restaurant. And she said, Leo, no, it costs like $300,000. You know, we can't do that right now. And I said, who says it costs that much? And she said, that's just how it is in the industry. And I said, well, I don't know anything about the industry, and I think there's a benefit to that. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, if we meet halfway, your intellect and your experience with my ignorance I think my ignorance can force you to be a bit more creative and innovative and, you know, in, in making this a reality. And so we did just that. You know, we started looking for locations, and the location that we have, uh, we were looking for something like small, like a little kitchen, 1,000 square feet. But this 4,000-square-foot building found us. <laughs> the, the owner of the building saw us online somewhere, and he said, I want to give you guys a chance. And so, you know, the banks wouldn't give us a chance. The loan agencies, you know, we're trying to get a loan. The loan agencies said no. The bank said no. Friends and families said no. Um, 
other lending institutions said no. Everyone said no. And I think that's what did it for me. That motivated me. And I was like, I can't just live this way in a in a what we call America to where, you know, my future and my development is based on someone else. And so what I did was I dissolved my teacher retirement, and I had $36,000 in there. And I, they asked me a million times, are you sure? Are you sure? This is the money you need to use when you're old and gray. I said, well, it's not going to be any good, man. I can't do anything with it if I'm old and gray. So I want my money. And, you know, I took the hit of the fees, and I ended up getting about $30,000. And uh, we had about $10,000 from catering for a year. Uh, and basically, we, we opened the restaurant with $40,000. We ended up, you know, the guy who owned the building said, hey, you have, four, you have three months, rent-free. Make it happen. I know you won't fail. Your food is amazing. So we, we did it. We took that leap of faith. We had $40,000, and we went and bought a bunch of wood. And I called my friend Donald Parker and his wife, and my mother-in-law flew in from Zimbabwe, and the five of us, we just started building stuff. We built our tables. We built our benches. We built the bar. We painted. We had to look on YouTube and learn how to paint. We painted the walls, and we went and got, like, hanging lights from the local store. And um, we just turned the fluorescents off and lit a bunch of candles, and we bought a bunch of used restaurant equipment. And I'd say three months later, we were dead broke. I went to McDonald's. This is the night before we opened. I went to McDonald's to get some oatmeal. And my card declined. And so I used my credit card, and that declined. And I looked at my savings account, and it was negative $27. And I didn't know what we were going to do. We went to bed hungry that night. But somehow that next day, when we opened up that evening, the line was down the street. It was down the street. And at the end of that first month, after putting everything we had into it, the end of that first month, we made over $40,000. And everything we put into the restaurant, we made back. And the second month, we were out of debt totally. And so now what we're making is enough to keep us afloat, considering the circumstances. Uh, But we've been, you know, fortunate enough now to purchase another building in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. And we're next in line to open up a location on Duke University's campus, and um, I'm actually all of the political work and small business advocacy work that I'm doing now. I've stepped the restaurant up. I have the time and flexibility to actually um, start back doing educational and small business development consulting. So that's how we open it up, and that's what we're doing now. Yeah, y'all are doing some great work and everything along those lines. I know that uh, Tracy Ann may not be glad to hear this and everything because she is definitely a supporter of that current person in 1600. We won't hold that against her. She's an amazing person other than that. But we do know that you also hey, have the Hey, hey, of, hey, hey, uh, hey. I didn't say anything like that. That's not fair. That, I'm just teasing you and everything. We disagree. <laughs> We agree to disagree, but I was going to say, but you did have the pleasure, Leonardo, of actually working on a um, campaign and actually having that person that is um, supposedly getting ready to go to 1600 that you had the pleasure of doing an event for him. So you had the pleasure of doing an event for, I believe it was Biden and Kamala, but share a little bit about that story as well, because that got you like some national exposure. I want to say even some international exposure. Yeah, it did, you know, and and where I want us to go politically, you know, and there's nothing wrong with anyone, you know, being of the the other perspective party, you know, uh, I I think balance is so important, you know, if everyone is a Democrat, that scares the crap out of me, and I'm a Democrat, you know, (laughs) so 
there has to be balance. Now, facts have to be the basis of that balance. And um, so what we did, all of the work that we've done in the community, um, you know, the Biden-Harris campaign didn't reach out to us and say, hey, join our campaign and then do those things. What they did was they, they actually – people kept sending – I don't know who these folks are, but folks kept sending them messages about us, and we're just working every day. We didn't know anyone was, like, you know, routing for, rooting for us. Uh, but all of the work that we do in the community, you know, eventually the Biden-Harris campaign reached out and said, hey, we, we love the work that you guys are doing, and we want to recognize that. You know, and uh, we said, thank you. So they said, hey, Carrie Washington is coming to town. Can you host her? Well, absolutely. We love her show. You know? <laughs> so uh, we did that, and uh, it went really good. It was a really good event. It got a lot of uh, buzz. After we hosted her, um, I then got a call on a Wednesday night saying, hey, it was about 8 o'clock that night. So, hey, uh, so obviously, you know, uh, we love the work you guys are doing. By the way, this is such and such from the Biden-Harris campaign. Oh, great. Hey, how you doing? Well, yeah, you guys do great work, so we want to recognize that. Um, Vice President Biden, he said, you know, based on what he's read about you guys, that you all are the American story. And he wants to recognize that by inviting you uh, to the presidential debate. How fast can you get to Nashville? I was like, oh, wow, that's huge. You know, when when is the debate? You know, we went thinking about the debate. And he said, well, it's tomorrow. Oh, crap. So we literally closed the restaurant, went and got a rental car, and drove all the way to Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, we got there, and, well, our story had gotten a little more buzz than what they thought. And uh, so we ended up doing press all day. Uh, we got to the debate hall that night, and we were expected to sit in the balcony. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, Secret Service took us inside, and he took us all the way down to the front row. And they said, you're sitting here. And I looked down, and I saw Ivanka Trump, First Lady Melania Trump, Tiffany Trump, Eric Trump, Laura Trump, sitting behind him. And then there was a name next to Eric Trump, and it said Leonardo Williams. And that was my seat. And next to me was my wife's seat. And next to her was uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms from Atlanta, the mayor. And, uh, and next to her was uh, Dr. Jill Biden and their granddaughter. And we were literally their only two guests for the debate. Uh, so that was an amazing experience. I got a chance to, you know, be right there by both candidates and, you know, by the Trump family, you know, just mingling with everyone. It was a, it was an amazing experience and um, truly enjoyed it. And uh, after that, we ended up hosting a press conference at the restaurant. Uh, I utilized that campaign, that, that platform to uh, talk about small businesses and holding both, you know, uh, campaigns, both uh, candidates accountable. And then uh, I got a call from the um, Biden camp and said, hey, do you mind serving on the African-American Leadership Council Hey, do you mind serving on the Biden-Harris Finance uh, Financial um, Innovation Council? <laughs> sure, sure. You know, uh, so that exposure got us on every media outlet in North Carolina and Tennessee, and then the major outlets of C-SPAN, CNN, MSNBC, and then we started getting calls from the Zimbabwean embassy, and we ended up on every uh, media outlet in the nation of Zimbabwe. Uh, and we ended up getting a call from the Mail and Guardian of South Africa, which is like equivalent to the New York Times. And from that is when we got the call from 
the uh, from BBC World News, and we uh, were interviewed there. And so with all of that, in January, we're supposed to go on a world speaking tour uh, over five countries in Southern Africa to talk about Zoeli's story because we're launching her memoir, which is a very interesting story, and also the work that we do here uh, the small business and how we can work, you know, in the public and private sectors and, you know, utilize that relationship to take care of our community, no matter your perspective. That makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking that you might have a space for some uh, ladies from a rodeo to go on the tour with you. So maybe Tracy Ann can join the rest of the tour <laughs> when y'all go around the world and everything. I'm sure that she wouldn't mind going since she's got free time on her hand since she was earlier telling us that she just went through a traumatic divorce. So she's got free time on her hand other than running the rodeo and everything. So definitely I think that uh, I'm just going to connect the two of y'all and y'all can go on this world jump together if that's all right with you, Leonardo and Tracy. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, Leonardo, one of the things that just impressed me the most about you was the fact that you were a, a willing and able to work across party lines and Absolutely. be there with the Trump family and then there for Biden and Harris. I, I think that speaks volumes for you and your wife as, as human beings. Um, yeah. I, I don't think there – you can't say anything more about agreeing to disagree um, – about how this country is run and that you're right. All Republican or all Democrats should scare all of us, <laughs> to be honest with you. So I, that really impressed me when you stated all your stories about being there and, and being with both parties and respecting both parties. That that sells volumes for your, you as a human being. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with you that it speaks a lot of volumes to everything that you're doing and all of that, because it is just truly amazing the way that you have connected and everything. And I also know that part of what you do as well, and I know that you do that, um, not even though you are African-American descent, but part of your mission is also the whole concept of us supporting our own community and everything. So could you talk a little bit about that? Because I don't think that necessarily, and this is just my perception of this, I don't think that when people say by black or by Hispanic, that that necessarily means that you want to leave out the rest of the communities as well. It just means that you want to support some of your own community and make sure that there is some kind of gains made within our community because sometimes we don't do enough of supporting our own. And I would even argue that's the case even in terms of buying American, which I know something Tracy Ann is all about. But I would love to hear you talk about a little bit about the buying black campaign as well because I know that that's one of your platforms as well, Leonardo. Yeah, well, it's, it's banking black. And, and, you know, and part of that does mean buying black. Uh, but when I look at my white counterparts, you know, and, and, you know, when I call them friends, you know, as a black man and as a black friend, they want the best in me, you know, as I to them. I look at them and I want the best in them, you know. So in order for us to have to, in order for us to, to really display the best in ourselves for the rest of our community, there's some work that we have to do internally. You know, and the other thing, the other perspective is the data. The data gives us the right. The data gives us the right to be intentional about certain activities, certain, uh, you know, things that we do. There is nothing wrong with saying I want to strengthen the black community. There's nothing wrong with it. And there's nothing wrong with the white person saying I want to strengthen the white community. You know, if it, as long as it's not, I want to better my community so that I can make yours worse. As long as it's not that, and that's not what this is doing. What this do, what this does is it says, 
you know, for example, I used to PPP, you know, 90% of, you know, uh, black or minority-owned businesses did not receive the PPP in the beginning, you know, and that doesn't mean there's this big racist man in the corner of a room making that decision, but what it does say is the policy is not innocent, and the policy has to be more intentional about being inclusive, you know, and and it, and it has to be it has to be culturally responsive to the circumstances that are in our community that cause, you know, situations in which some have and some have not. You know, so what we did was we said, you know what? Uh, and, and actually, my friend Craig, who I have on the, I have on the call now, Craig came to me, and Craig is a white guy. Craig said, Leo, you know, he was he's really inspired about you know what happened with George Floyd. And he said, we got to do something, you know, and, and I'll be honest, you know, I was toned out. I was so tired of just seeing another black man killed, you know, and, and unfortunately, I became numb because it was happening so much, you know, uh, and this is, you know, folks, black being killed by the police, black, you know, being killed by each other, you know, it was just so much. And but my friend Craig resensitized me to the reality that there was a need and there's a there's a need for something to happen, and so you know he said, Leo, what if we just what if we all moved what if we moved all of our money to a black bank, you know, and, and what happens what what can we make happen if we moved all of our money to a black bank and the black bank started you know being very intentional about supporting the black community, so we started working on that, and I'll let him talk more about his inspiration when he brought it to me. So we started working on what that would look like, and we went to our, our local bank right here in Durham, North Carolina, the second oldest black bank in America, M&F Bank. And we talked to them about it. They said they loved it. And so we put some smart goals on it, really simple, really direct. In 10 years, by 2030, we want to increase black home ownership by 10%. And in, by 2025, in five years, we want to increase black small businesses, black small business ownership by 25%. And we're going to do that by letting our letting a black bank facilitate this evolution, and we're going to do that by bringing more accounts to that bank, generating resources for that bank to be more to help the community become more viable, as you know, as as uh, as you know, people being able to obtain loans, you know, and it gives the bank more resources to be able to be a, a more flexible lender, and so those are the goals that we set in place. And we were like, all right, let's see if we can make this happen, you know? And and so that's what we're working on now. And uh, Craig, why don't you just go ahead and talk about it and give us a little insight. Sure. Yeah. Craig, uh, love, to, hello, love to hear your perspective. So definitely, Craig, share with us your reason for getting involved. And you're on the call with me. I'm Mark Lee, and I'm uh, one of the hosts along with Dean of Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. And we've got Tracy Ann, who's got the ranch in Colorado. And, of course, you've been hearing some of Leonardo's perspective. But I'd love to hear why you got involved in this whole concept of what uh, Leonardo's doing and some of your reasons for getting involved this way. Absolutely. Can you all hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, my name is Craig Carter, and uh, I'm a Durham resident. And um, like Leo said, I was really inspired by all the action that was taken following the murder of George Floyd, all the protests, and all the conversations about racial inequality in America. And it, it uh, opened my eyes. I, I knew it was bad, but I, I didn't know how 
systemic and pervasive and how much it's a part of American history. It's it's a part of pretty much everything um that's a part of American culture is is uh is involved with um racial injustice. And um looking into that I learned that one of the biggest facets of the injustice is racial economic injustice. How uh because uh black Americans were not able to open accounts with white-owned banks, weren't able to get loans, um, weren't able to even go into the buildings, uh, they had to start their own banks. That's the only way that they could uh, get a loan for a home or to open a business. And in Durham, that was mechanics and farmers. And I, uh, you know, being around downtown Durham, I would walk by the the headquarters, the very first Mechanics and Farmers Bank that was um, founded over 100 years ago. And, you know, it just kind of dawned on me, especially, you know, I, I had all my money in Wells Fargo. And that their assets are worth trillions of dollars compared to um, the, the billions that all the African-American banks in – the country combined have. Um, and, you know, how could I say that I care about racial economic injustice if I have all my money in Wells Fargo? I could not. I couldn't say that and mean it. Um, so I went to the bank and I opened an account and I am currently in the process of moving my money over. It is, uh, it's not easy. They, they make it very difficult um, to do that. And, uh, when you try to do that, you start to realize um, how many, how uh, what you have all your money in. Whether it's um, you have your direct deposit from your um, your employer, you know, funneling money to your bank, or you know, I have my credit card tied up with Netflix and Venmo and PayPal, and you know, transferring all that is a very complicated process. So, in addition to getting people uh, informing people why they need to put their money in a black-owned bank to move it from a large corporate bank to a smaller black-owned bank. It's providing tools, information to help them with the process because, uh, as you know, from personal experience, I'm seeing how complicated that is, and we want to remove as many barriers as possible so that people um, are able to do that. They don't look at look at it and say, I'd like to, but it's too complicated or it's too hard. Um, so that's kind of our mission uh, with Bank Black Durham. Gotcha. I'm glad that you were able to put that in that perspective and everything. I did want to bring in Falkner into the conversation. We've actually got to get ready to wrap everything up. So I was going to give everybody a chance at the end to uh, share their, their positive thoughts and their words of encouragement. So I definitely want folks to do that. But I did want to bring in Faulkner Fox, who has been in, involved in some of the Democratic um, activism community and things along those lines. And she's now trying to, like, make sure that the uh, votes are being counted in Georgia. So I would love to hear some of Faulkner's for thoughts about what's going on in the work that she's doing. And then, like I said, I definitely want to give everybody an opportunity to share their own final thoughts and words of positivity because that's one of the things I believe in and all of the platforms that I'm involved in. So, Falker, if you could share a little bit about Bull City Votes 
and what Bosity Votes is doing in terms of uh, trying to help the folks in Georgia as they're going through their count process and things of that nature. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Thanks for inviting me to come on. Um, so Bull City Votes um, was actually nonpartisan, and so we were just all about registering voters in Durham, and then we were all about um, getting people to the polls, having people understand, um, you know, what's it like to vote during a pandemic, um, you know, that people could, you know, they could vote absentee if they wanted to, but they also could um, drive up to the polling place and stay in their car and vote curbside, you know, and then just sort of walk people through what happens if you want to vote in person. So it was really about voter turnout in Durham and registering voters um, this time. And then it was about ballot curing afterwards. Um, and, you know, this is just an example. Um, I was on the phone the afternoon that uh, the ballot curing was going to end, which I think was I think it was November 9th, you know, so it was the election was over, but we were still wanting to make sure that people's votes counted. And so this is just an example of what we were doing. I was on the phone with the sister of a 93-year-old woman who did not have any proof of her address because she lived with her sister now. And so she was at the doctor, and so volunteers had been talking to her sister. We'd already been to her house. We were talking to her sister, and we were saying, you know, she needs to have a bank statement, and that would be proof of, of her address so that her provisional ballot would count. So she'd already voted prior to November 3rd. This is November 9th, but her ballot's not going to count unless we can get this proof of her address. So she's 93 years old. She's in a taxi. She's at the doctor. I say to the sister, can she possibly stop at the bank on the way home? She gets the taxi to stop at the bank. She gets her bank statement. She brings it back to her sister, and her sister is trying to um, text it to me so I can get it to the Board of Elections. So this is like 4.50 right now, and everything closes at 5, <laughs> like we got 10 minutes. Her phone's not working. She borrows her husband's phone. They text it to me. I get it to the Board of Elections. So that was, like, a happy thing. But then I was talking to other people after 5, and they couldn't find any proof of address. Um, so these kinds of things, people should not be disenfranchised because they don't have a paper that proves their address. So, um, you know, we were doing everything we could, and that family so wanted her vote to count. Everyone wants their vote to count, you know. And so um, so that's the kind of work we were doing. And now we've decided we're going to Savannah next week um, to register voters in Georgia. So these would be people that did not vote in the prior election, but they still can vote in the Senate runoff, um, which is January 5th. So we've got this period in Georgia to register people up through December 7th. And so Bull City Votes is going to travel down to Savannah, and we're going to work with um, Black Voters Matter and a group called Georgia Stand Up, both of which are nonpartisan, just encouraging people to get registered to vote, encouraging people to make their voice heard. And, you know, Georgia is as much of the New South as North Carolina is, and so we feel kind of like um, a sister state to Georgia and um, we want to help them out, of course, in a COVID-safe way. We're always 
going to be outside. We're always going to be masked, just like we were in Durham. But, yeah, road trip to Savannah. So um, if anybody listening is interested, check out Bull City Votes. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Um, and check out the details. We're going to go right after Thanksgiving down to Savannah and register some voters. Sounds like that's going to be a noble cause and everything. We were actually hearing some bad news about Georgia and North Carolina from our new friend, Tracy Ann Whitehill, who was actually talking about how the veterans, unfortunately, here in North Carolina and Georgia are not doing that well. Apparently, we're in some of the worst states in terms of our veteran rights, and Tracy Ann was sharing with that with us at the early part of the show, that apparently we're not doing a good job of supporting our veterans and are considered one of the worst states in terms of veterans' rights. So we've got to do better in that regards. And Tracy Ann was letting us know that uh, I think those two states and Florida, if I'm correct, was that the third state that you said was not doing all that well, Tracy Ann? Uh, well, we can go North Carolina and Georgia, Florida. I mean, I can add Colorado, my own state. We can add Oklahoma, Tennessee, Kentucky and Texas. Those are the ones with the absolute worst reps. But I'm going to say Georgia and Florida, or Georgia and uh, North Carolina have. We actually relocate people out of those states because the veterans, it, it has nothing to do. It's the VA system there um, that is broken beyond fixed repair. Um, they don't have any nonprofits that help the veterans there unless you are post 9-11, 100% disabled, there's just nothing there to help veterans. So it's easier to put them on a bus with the ticket going to a family member somewhere else at this point than keeping them located in those states. And believe me, I love North Carolina, guys. I was born at Fort Bragg Army Hospital in North Carolina. So I lived on the East Coast for the first part, half of my entire life. So and I live in Colorado, which is one of the richest states, and we suck at helping our veterans. So nothing by wow. And that is no, not no, my not at, statement. Not, not at all and everything. And I do want to give everybody a chance to give their closing statements and their thoughts and everything. We're running up on the end of the show, and I know Dean's going to talk about some of the places that we are heard at and some of the other shows that we've got. But I'm going to toss it to, I guess I'll go, uh, well, I guess we'll go ladies first. So, Faulkner, um, I know you came in late, but if you've got any positive words of encouragement or positive things that you would like to share with our listening audience that is a global audience, um, definitely I would love to hear those. And do know that you're welcome to come back, all of you, at any time, because we love having guests to come back and everything. But I would definitely turn it over to you, Faulkner, if you've got any words of encouragement or positive thoughts that you would like to share with our listening audience. Thank you, Mark. I just would want to say that um, enfranchisement, of everybody who can vote is so important in this country. And, um, you know, what everyone was all surprised about um, what happened in Georgia or what's happened so far, but that was a lot of years and a lot of people working to, to register voters. And so, um, you know, this is a, a method that, you know, everyone used in the Civil Rights Movement and it's still ongoing now, and if we are going to welcome in the new South, um, then I think we all should be engaged and concerned with um, everybody having the right to vote and voter suppression and gerrymandering and those kind of things um, need to be taken away because it makes, um, it, makes it an unfair 
um, playing field, and everyone has a right to to have their voice heard. No doubt about that. Tracy Ann, love to hear your thoughts on any final words of encouragement, positivity, or anything that you'd like to share. It can be directed to the veterans. It can be directed to the world in general. And then I'll get to the two gentlemen, Leonardo and his uh, buddy as well, to hear their words. But I'm turning it over to you, Tracy Ann, to hear any words of encouragement or positive thoughts that you would like to share with our international audience. Absolutely. And I appreciate tonight and our discussion and meeting some amazing people um, across this great country. So I'm going to, I'm going to put it right there. We are one nation under God. We are all created by God. We are all supposed to be equal. So having said that the veterans that fight for us, they're fighting for our freedom and they're fighting for our rights across this entire world. They're fighting for us to be able to survive and for our safety and to keep the war from hitting the United States. They're fighting for us to be able to live in our own homes and have our own ideas and our own thoughts and not be told what to say and do. We are one nation under God, no matter what your race, your age, your sex, whatever. We are one nation under God. God created us all. If you don't believe that, then you're obviously going to disagree with everything I have to say. And I agree. Every vote should count. Every legal vote should count. But every single person in this country that's legal has a way to show that they are legal. And I'm so sorry if this offends anybody, whether you are on either side of the party, because I know my state's fighting. I know every state's fighting. The bottom line is back in the day when I was 18 and I got to vote for the first time, I had to go in and give my little high school ID because they didn't even have my driver's license because I got grounded and I couldn't get it. So I had to produce my high school ID at 18 and to show that I was who I said I was. And I and I got to vote. I got to vote because I showed them who I was. This is what one nation under God is. We all are, have equal say. We all are honest. We all live and worship God and know that he has our best interest at heart. And he will guide this country in whatever way he sees best because we believe in him. And him alone. And I pray for everybody that has talked tonight, everybody that has listened tonight. I give you all up to God that he may bless you and keep you protected in this year of 2020. And God may look over all of you and all of us and say, you know what? You are all one nation underneath, and I'm going to protect everybody. That's what I have to say. So I appreciate that. That's Amen. definitely powerful thoughts and everything. Leonardo, I'd love to hear your final thoughts and your thoughts about uh, the world and the positive messages or anything that you would like to share. And if you could also get your uh, buddy to lend his thoughts as well, since y'all are in the same space there together. So I would love to hear y'all's thoughts as well. And then I'll turn it over to Dean and myself as we get ready to wrap everything up. But I'd love to hear your reflections as well, Leonardo. Craig, why don't you go ahead? Okay. Um, thank you, Leo. Uh, so um, it, I would like to uh, offer some advice. If you are out there and you are looking for a way to take action, but you 
don't know exactly what to do because it, it can kind of seem overwhelming. So something I learned recently is that there's a difference between political hobbyism and political activism. So following the news and sharing it on social media is political hobbyism, not activism. The, the key difference is intention. So um, being intentional, uh, I ask this of, of listeners out there. If you see something, a story, an article, um, anything of that nature, if you see something that you think is so important to be shared that people need to know about this, ask yourself, what if someone were to see, see this, what action do I hope this piece of information would inspire them to take? Whatever that is, that's what you should be doing. That's the action that you need to take. So um, if you want to be an activist, uh, think, about, think about that. So that, that's, that's what I would, would leave with you. Definitely some great thoughts, and I do find that too often we do find folks that do that kind of hobbyist thing, and I've actually talked to even about the music field, that there are those musicians that are hobbyist musicians, and there are those that are actually trying to make a career out of their music field, and I would agree with you that that can also be said in the political and the activism fields as well. So, Leo, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. We heard from your partner in crime with Dubai Black, but I'd love to hear your thoughts and some words of wisdom that you would like to leave folks with. Yeah, so I, I probably dropped right dead smack in the middle of all of this stuff. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, uh, for those who, you know, uh, who, you know, have belief and, you know, have you know, belief in Christianity or, or whatever religious background, you know, uh, I was raised about this, and, you know, when it came to that, I believe that God created us to he, – he created us with the ability to do something, and I think it stops right there. Everything else is up to you, you know, and, and, and that, that's what I take from, from, from Tracy's side of it. The, from the other side, you know, uh, about, you know, just getting folks engaged in the process, you know, um, that is the most important thing that we can do. Because you're right, we're all we all should be created equal, but it's 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 very clear that not everyone in this country is created equal. Especially when you have you know three people, three or four people who owns the top, you know, twenty to thirty percent wealth in this country. Those are the things that our our veterans, you know, our, our veterans fought for us to be able to do the things that we're doing, and it's up to us not to abuse that. Um, so that's why I, as a small business. I am I'm done with relying on the government or or anyone else or any other thing to do things for me. You know, as a small business owner uh and being in this space, I believe that we can create the culture to cultivate. I believe that we create our own reality. Government is there to provide capacity for us to do what it is that we want to do. You know, so at, like right now we're in a global pandemic. If we're not coming out of this pandemic better, and, and literally someone in front of my restaurant had a mental breakdown yesterday. This thing is breaking people down, and those situations are serious. But the vast majority of people, if we're not coming out of this thing after reflecting on ourselves and being better than we went into it with it, then there's a problem there. 
and and I hope that that doesn't offend anyone. But I'm a business owner, so I and being a business owner that means I'm always in survival mode, and I'm always thinking about how can I make the next step even better than the first one that I took. You know, so I hope that we, I hope that you know, folks take this time to truly reflect on their on their own ability, on their own reality, and actually do something with this time that they have on their hands. Make yourself better and create a community, create a culture around you that is going to make others better too. You know, so, uh, and that's what we're doing. Create this public-private partnership uh, that, that works for you and works for your, for the entities that you work with. And, and, and just make sure that, you know, folks have a better quality of life. You know, let's not judge one another. Let's support and enhance and engage with one another. No, you've been doing a great job of that, Leo, and everything. One of the things that I remember that you shared with me, and I know we don't have time to go into it on this particular episode, but we'll have to have you back on at some point, was the fact that you saw some of the uh, your neighbor's store that was actually selling a certain kind of product. I think it was one of those kind of like um, – smoking things, but they were actually from another culture, and you saw that a lot of their clientele was actually the clientele that you would have expected from your store, whereas a lot of your clientele is actually from other sides of the uh, racial um, society that we oh, have. Yeah. That's, and that's a whole other story. That's a whole other conversation. A Pakistani owns a vape store. 90% of its customers are black, and if I was judging a book by a cover, I can promise you they probably do not have it means to be wasting and burning money in a vape store, you know, whereas 90% of my restaurant customers, and I'm a black-owned restaurant, 90% of my customers are middle-class white, you know. So it's, it's not that there's something wrong with it. It's just that there's so much more opportunity for, you know, to, for others to be better educated, better informed, and better exposed. No, no doubt about that. We'll have you, have you come back on and share a little bit more of that story, because I know you shared that with me last week and everything, and I found that, <laughs> excuse me, very amazing and all of that. Jane, as you can tell, we've had another engaging conversation with all kinds of great guests, everybody from Tracy Ann Whitehill and her um, ranch that's over there in Colorado to Leonardo and his uh, restaurant, Zuelis, to his business partner with the Buying Black campaign and Faulkner Fox, who is doing a voting thing. So we've had a very engaging conversation that touched on a lot of things, everything from veterans' rights to uh, economic empowerment to voting and all kinds of other great things. So I think we've just had another amazing show and another thing that will definitely have folks engage when they listen to the replays. So tell folks once again where those replays are and when they can hear this replay of our conversation and maybe go back and reflect on some of the things they heard. And I also do want to give a shout-out to our guest call-in that was calling in from some part of the country. I did not catch his area code. I believe it was 314, but he was also calling in and giving his insights of what he thought. But tell folks where they can hear us again in terms of the replays and about some of the other shows that we've got going on. And I know you're going to live with those parting words that you often leave with, which is that whole thing about when you walk out the door. I got less than a minute before they cut us off. A straight talk with Dane and Mark Monday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to catch the replays on the Skyhawk Radio Network tomorrow afternoon and Wednesday afternoon at 2 p.m. And if you missed that, we got replays on Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, 
Pod Chaser, Podcast Addict, Cashbox, Pod Follow, Deezer, Joe Saban, and right here on Blog Talk Radio, we are part of the Level Radio Network. We have a number of shows, so make sure that you keep it locked right here at blogtalkradio.com backslash squared, S-Q-U-A-R-E-D-807. When you walk outside your front door, like I always say, it's showtime in the world is your stage. Just make sure that people are not watching the rehearsal. With that being said, it's the six-man Dean Geronimo. Happy Thanksgiving. Have an outstanding week, and we'll see y'all in seven days. That's right. We'll be trying to have another engaging conversation in seven days. But in the meantime, as Dean said, y'all have a great uh, holiday and definitely enjoy your holiday time with your family if you're able to spend that with them. I know a lot of folks are going to be doing it on a more scaled down version, but however you celebrate, we hope that you celebrate in style and then we'll see you again, like Dean said, in seven days with some more amazing conversations.